Okay, so we are still on oh, finishing actually chapter uh, chapter six, right? Uh, the Malakirti Sutra. This is our fourth uh, gathering with it. <coughs> Maybe the last one. That's the idea. So this is uh, page seventy six. At that time, the rich man Bimalakirti said to Manjushri, You have visited countless thousands, ten thousands, billions of Asamkhyas, a very large number of countries. What Buddha land have, has the finest and most beautiful lion seats, those endowed with the best qualities? Manjushri replied, Layman, to the east, beyond countries numerous, as the sands of 36 Ganges, lies a world called Sumeru Shape. Its Buddha is named Sumeru Lamp King, and he is there now. This Buddha body is 84,000 Yojanas, which is each Yojana is eight miles apparently, in height, and the lion seat he sits on is 84,000 Yojanas high and adorned in the finest fashion. Vimalakirti then exercised his transcendental powers, and at once that Buddha dispatched 32,000 lion seats, tall, broad, adorned, and pure, and had them brought into Vimalakirti's room. Now remember, it's a very tiny room, right? Where the bodhisattvas, major disciples, indras, brahmans, four heavenly kings, and other, many other people, they were all there. Right? And the room was broad and spacious enough, the tiny room was broad and spacious enough to hold all these 32,000 lion seats without the slightest crowding or hindrance. At that time, I'm skipping a little bit, at that time, Vimalakirti said to Manjushri, sit down on one of these lion seats. The Bodhisattva and other distinguished persons should also sit down. But when they, do, when they do so, they should assume bodies suitable to the size of the seat. The Bodhisattva had acquired transcendental power, powers, thereupon immediately transformed their shape, making themselves 42 yojanas tall, and sat down in the lion seats. But among the Bodhisattvas who had newly embarked on their course, or the major disciples, there were none who could climb up into the seat. At that time, Vimalakirti said to Shariputra, sit down on this lion seat. But Shariputra said, Layman, these seats are too tall and wide, and I can't, we can't climb up on them. And Vimalakirti said, Ah, Shariputra, if you will make obeisance to the thus come one, Sumeru Lamb King, then you will be able to take your seat. Bodhisattvas who had newly embarked on their course and the major disciples accordingly made obeisance to the Thus Come One, and after that they were able to seat themselves in the lion, lion seats. And Shariputra said, Layman, I have never seen such a thing. A little room like this, and still it can hold seats as tall and as broad as this. And again, I'm skipping a little bit. But uh, Vimalakirti said, Ah, Shariputra, the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas have an emancipation that is called beyond comprehension. When a Bodhisattva dwells in this emancipation, 
she can take something as tall and as broad as Mount Sumeru and put it inside the mustard seed without enlarging one or shrinking the other. And Mount Sumeru, king of mountains, will still have its original shape. Moreover, the four heavenly kings and the gods of the Trias Trimsha, heaven, who live on Mount Sumeru, will not even know to realize where they have gone to. So, let's, for a few minutes, open it up. What, what's going on here? Yes. Well, it appears to me that this is an example of, you know, in martial arts we call it being like water, mm -hmm. you know, sort of taking the shape of what you need to be at that time. And this is, you know, obviously a magical example of that. But to me it points towards, um, you know, being appropriate to your situation. Okay. That's one, one level of approaching that. What is emancipation beyond comprehension? It's, it's, what you're saying is connected to that. But emancipation beyond comprehension. Is it this allness? This is the, the, the we all want all. That's the only way you can be everything. You can be the mountain, you can be the, the shape you want to be. Right? When you say, you know, how. So, what is it? What, yeah, uh, yeah, and, and there's truth in what you're saying, and it is connected, actually, both of that. But, but what does it mean in relation to us, everyday life, everyday thoughts, appearances? Concepts, emancipation beyond comprehension. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. Um, the way that I'm looking at it is kind of letting go of the duality of the situation. How do you how do you approach deceit other than um, having reverence for it and respect, and then you can approach deceit and Letting go of duality, letting go of concepts, freeing oneself from all <coughs> concepts of large, small, you, me, us, them, <coughs> in, out, up, down, right, left, all, all of it, right? Obviously, if I, if I see myself here and I see the seat up there, Right? and I don't have a way to get up there, well, then I'm not going to sit on it. I'm here, or it's over there. How do we get beyond that? How do you extinguish a candlelight a thousand miles away? You know, some of, the, some of you have done those koans, right? We have koans that address that. That's why, right? Take out Mansumelo from your pocket. Right? Remember those? There are a bunch of them. Why? Because you are because all things. Oh, yeah. So if you're thinking the chair is huge and big and I'm down here yeah. and small, I cannot be able to sit on that seat. But it, if, yeah. I, uh, if I have no form, 
So what does, what does he mean by saying, if you will make obeisance to the Buddha, you will be able to see it? What is that? Why is he saying, well, if you, only if you just make a deep bow, right, or obeisance to the Buddha, right? And what does that mean? Yes, right. Transcending that mind, like as, as you were reading, I was trying to picture the whole thing, <laughs> and it didn't fit in the mind. It was too, my mind is too small. I like that. It doesn't or, fit in my mind. <laughs> yeah, it was too small for me to, my space in the mind is too small for me to fit that in, even like visualize it. Right. So, as that was my, the experience as I was reading, so I feel like, that's what the Buddha is saying. It's, it's transcending the mind, basically. So vowing to that teaching or that, you know, trying he's trying to convey that message, getting rid of the walls of the mind so then the space becomes the space. What is what is what is the what is the teaching about? No form. There's there's not dwelling nowhere. Right? Dwelling nowhere? No dualities, dwelling nowhere and dwelling everywhere at the same time. By dwelling nowhere, you dwell everywhere at the same time. Yeah. Also, obeisance to who? Is there Buddha and you? Is that separate? Right, that's what it appears. It ap yeah. He appears to be saying that, right? But then what he's saying is obeisance to what you are mm -hmm. as all things. Right? That's what we are not... We're obeying something else, actually. Mm -hmm. right? We're obeying a concept of up and down, right? You know, small, big. But to put something as, as, as large as Mount Sumero into a mustard seed without enlarging the mustard seed. Right? I mean, you, you, it's, it's interesting words, but that's what it's about, right? To, to, and of course, it's... Yeah. yeah, it makes perfect sense, but not... To the mind, as you say, my mind is too small to actually comprehend that. So, isn't this the Buddha nature? Isn't that you achieve freedom? Right? By well, that's what I find funny about Emancipation it. beyond yes. comprehension. I cannot comprehend it. Right? right? With, with, with my thinking mind, I cannot understand. And all this sounds like, you know... Because when we do that, then there is an issue. There is something outside. Well, that's why I find this, this funny, because Vimalakarni to me is somewhat of a trickster, using, you know, using the Dharma and everything, feeding them concepts that they you know, have to pay attention to. They, ha they have to immediately shed them in order to, you know, to be there and understand what, what it is that he's doing, what they're saying. So he's, he's force-feeding them the practice. He's, he's force-feeding them these concepts in order for them to immediately practice shedding, letting it go, not shrinking, not, not resizing anything, not saying, you know, it can't be done, but just, you just have to accept it. Isn't that us? Yeah, it's everything, yes. What makes something tall? If I make something small, I'm making something big, yeah. right? But if I'm not making something small, I'm not making something big. Yeah. So 
that's what makes it big. That's what makes it unreachable, right? right. Because I am here. I am unable to reach that. Yeah. And it's over there. Yeah. But what, what is there and what is here? And that's why, that's what he's doing all this. That's why he's doing it to, to, to help us get beyond our conceptual walls. Right. There's no other short. A division. So, yeah, to transcend our own limited mind. That's all he's saying. That's, yeah, he's just saying it, now we have to do it and <laughs> for the rest of our lives, but that's the point. <clears throat> We're good? We can move on? Yep. Okay, so chapter 7, regarding living beings. <clears throat> At that time, Manjushri asked Vimalakirti, how does the Bodhisattva regard living beings? Vimalakita replied, as a conjurer looks on the being he conjures up, or as a magician regards people created by magic. Now, this is a very interesting statement, right? What, what, what is he saying there? You know, so how should we view living beings? As a magician sees magical act. What is he saying? Illusion. What? Right, but think about it. You know, a magician, how does, okay, how do we see magic, right, as spectators? And let's say that, you know, there is a magician in the crowd looking at the same thing. What does this person see? The reality. He's seeing what we are unable to see. Mm-hmm. He's seeing the sleight of hand, right? We see that, but he's seeing exactly like behind the scenes. He knows how it's created. So he's not surprised by the magic. He's seeing things as they are because he's seeing the magic. He knows, he understands the magic. Right? So what is it saying about life and death? What is it saying about us? We are conjured up. We are made up. We as individuals are made up which is fine we have to keep functioning this way but what does it mean to see ourselves as being conjured up to be in on the trick in a way on the magic it's a beautiful way of saying that right when you're in on your on the magic of your own creation you can be anything you're not taken aback by right you're not well you know yeah it's well, but it's part of that, you know, the whole thing, right? It's going to feel... Well, you're free. Right. <clears throat> you're free. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Isn't that kind of when... Um, when Buddha held up the flower? How? How so? And um, how does she have a smile? Kind of like that. Yeah. That's what it feels like. Uh, the smile, yes, right. Yeah, the the smile. smile, exactly. Mm-hmm. So the smile is, yeah, I see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're on the same page here. <laughs> right. Yeah. To be in on the trick. <clears throat> and then you don't take yourself so seriously. Because you don't take the, ma- the, the, the act so seriously. You can still enjoy it, but maybe don't take it so seriously. I don't enjoy it as much. 
Because <laughs> you already know well, how the magic is there, right? But when you well, don't know, you're like in awe. Wow, you know? It but that's, the wow that's, the, I mean, that's where he's going with that. So that's the question. What do you do? How do you regard living beings? But if you see that, does it mean you disregard them? And that's the question. So, yes, I, we understand that it's made up. But suffering is suffering. You, you can't deny that pain is pain and suffering is suffering. Within that illusion, there is suffering. So, and that's, that's in a way, that's the danger that we have to watch for, right? To not, well, it's all made up, so, you know, there is no such thing as and that's a problem. Is it like, I'm trying again. Yeah. <laughs> my little mind is trying to get right. Um, my little growing like mind. In the, <laughs> in the hurricane, like being in the eye of it instead of being carried on, yeah. you know, yeah. around it. Yeah, yeah. So it's still good. like, still I'm the hurricane, but I'm not. Like the perspective will be different. It's quiet. Like it's it's right. You see things differently. Okay. Yeah, you see things differently. That's what it's trying to say with the magic. Because I'm just trying to. Because what she said makes sense to me. But you know, you see Once things you differently. Know that it's not magic, and how then do you feel about it. And but but then you know, as a bodhisattva, you see it, and then you jump knowingly. You jump into the storm. You have to function. That, right. And to be of benefit to others, you jump into the storm because that's where the mess and the chaos is and that's where help is needed. But you can do... The next chapter is... Right, okay. right. It, it's good. I'm glad we are seeing, you know, because this is where... Because really, this is where it's going. That's what it's about. Right? It's about understanding and yet knowing how to apply. Uh, knowing yet deliberately transgresses. I don't know if you remember that. Um, dog have, does the dog have Buddha nature? This is the longer version of that. And, um, you know, in the second part of it, he says, knowing yet, he knows yet deliberately transgresses. To know, to be in on the magic, yet deliberately to go back into the mess, into the chaos, and be off help, be off yeah. wow. assistance, yeah. When you go back into the mess, mm -hmm. it's with a difference, isn't it? Yes. So, right. is it like you carry the eye with you, the eye of the storm with you? Yeah. You like so you're both. You're both in the mess and the eye of the storm simultaneously. Yeah, you're, you, you have a vantage point, right? Because of experiencing, we can call it the eye of the storm, because of experiencing a larger all-encompassing sense of being, right? Then you have a different perspective in a way, and then you can you can be in that without being drowned in it. Or totally freaked out. Right. Or surprised that it's messy. Right. Why is it messy? Because that's the way of things. Right. <laughs> yeah. So when bodhisattvas go back. They're conscious, they're awake, they're, like they can see clear, but they choose to go back to help. 
But that is why Vijna Vakirti mm -hmm. refreshed their mind, like bringing them to more of the suffering. Like he's trying to get them more like, don't forget that they're suffering. Like don't, you know, like try to always keep them aware. Because he's talking to Bodhisattvas, like yeah. bringing them down to earth. Like, okay, you remember you chose to go there, not as like, I'm a Bodhisattva, I'm, I'm clear, but as embracing that pain or that suffering. So that's what he's trying to do. I'm a little confused. No, you're not, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah. Like, that's why he's to trying know, to kind of... Yeah, well, but for that, for that, we have to get through, we have to cut through dualities. Yeah. When you cut through dualities, then the eye of the storm is the storm. Okay. Right? Then there's no, there are no divisions. Because realization or enlightenment is delusion. So, so there are no divisions. <laughs> what? But in the eye of the storm, there's no division. Right. No, in the, in the mind, there are divisions. Right. The, the, storm, the, is the storm. storm is the storm. Right. The but storm is the storm. In the eye, you kind of can see more clear instead of being like, oh, around it. And yeah. In a way, when you think about it, I mean, if, you know, if we go along with this analogy, every time you go to your zazen, you go to revisit the eye of the storm. <laughs> right? Maybe. And then you get back to, you know, to the storm, to the mess, right? Yeah. And then you go back to the eye of the storm, and yeah, it's, yeah. We, can, we can go with that. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's good, it's a good analogy. <laughs> For some people, it's the reverse. It's meaning what? Sitting in Zazen is entering the storm. Yeah. Yes. Actually, it's sitting in Zazen is realizing that it's really <clears throat> stormy. <laughs> right, you know, so right, recognizing things as they are, recognizing that it is stormy, yeah. yes. And it's not uh, personal, too. Yeah, because sometimes when you're, you're on the cushion and you quiet down, it's where everything starts. And then when you get up, you get distracted mm. and you let it go for a moment until you have your next quiet time and then it just, cycle begins. Yeah, cycle never ends. Okay, okay so, uh, Yes, since he's verse, so basically, uh, that's actually, that's a note I put, uh, a magician knows because a magician knows, understands the, the sleight of hand, understand how the workings of a cre the creation of a being, in a way. Thus, does the Bodhisattva regard, does the Bodhisattva regard living beings? As the wise view the moon in the water or a face or form seen in a mirror, as shimmers of heat in a torrid season, as an echo that follows a cry, as clouds in the sky, as foam on the water, bubbles on the water, bubbles on the water, as a thing no firmer than trunk of a plantain, no longer lasting than a flash of lightning. That's how we're supposed to see ourselves. as a bubble, as a floating, whatever. I mean, it's not how we see ourselves, but you know, think about it. You know, if we actually do see ourselves like this, it changes everything, right? It's much more, uh, 
It's in motion, it's moving, it's changing, it's not rigid, it's not fixed. It's not so solid. No. It's not permanent. Yeah, it's, it's, right, it's fleeting, it's a blink of an eye. The bubble can be popped at any time. Right. And it's empty. So, you know, it has a shape, but what is that shape? What does it consist of? Nothingness. So, Manjushri said, if the Bodhisattva looks on beings in this way, how can he treat them with compassion, right? Which is what we're talking about. And Vimalakita replied, when the Bodhisattva has finished regarding them in this way, he thinks to himself, for the sake of living beings, I must preach this Dharma to them. This is true compassion. He treats them with compassion of tranquil existence, ex- extinction, sorry. Uh, for it results in no birth. Treats them with compassion unburning, for it is void of earthly desires. Treats them with a compassion that is impartial, as the three existences of past, present, and future are impartial. Treats them with a compassion free of contention, for nothing arises to oppose it. Again, no dualities. Treats them with a compassion undualistic, for internal and external have no place in it. Is that the work? It's another piece in the puzzle, so to speak, of what he's trying to portray, or what he's trying to illustrate to us. Because of, because of understanding no dualities, right, we can actually do more, we do better work of compassion. Right? And also not blaming others for be, getting stuck. Because we, 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 we do understand that unless you see the magic, how magic is created, you believe it to be true. Right? So when the eyes are when the eyes are closed, obviously we're gonna bump into things, but we're not gonna fault a blind person for bumping into you, right? Yeah, but I think that's our nature too. When you see someone has their eyes closed and bumping into things, yeah, you don't. We don't judge. We try to tell them to open their eyes or help them somehow. <clears throat> the problem is we don't see that we are blindfold on each other. Right. Like, so, I don't right, see that you, right. people are, you know, like we cannot see because I'm also blindfold. So it's like blindfold helping blindfold people. It's hard. So then you judge. Because obviously you can't see. But, but if, somebody, sure. if somebody is criticizing you, for example, right? So, and judging you from a place of being trapped, from a place of wanting to fault you so this person can be seen in a better way, right? I mean, that's common. So then here, here's an example, right? So I'm being judged, but all this happens within that magic, so to speak, right, of creating separate sense of existence, right? Now, okay, so I may say this person is, you know, cannot see, right? And I am able to see well, then if I'm able to see, then how do I respond to that? Yeah, that's the thing. If I'm able to see, really see, because usually the ones that judge are the ones that cannot see. That's why you're judging. Right. <laughs> like you're in the same, 
maybe you can see this much and then you start judging, but once your eyes are open and you see someone's eyes are closed, isn't it out of like, well, I, I is it in our nature to be like, find a way to help them? But that's exactly what he's talking about. You know, from there, compassion arises. Comes naturally. That's what he's explaining to Manjushri, right? From there, it's easier to be compassionate to act in that way because you understand, you understand. no separate existence. So even if somebody is blaming you for doing something you didn't do, right? So, okay, well, let's look at it. But, you know, if you understand no separate existence, well, then who is getting offended? Mm-hmm. The judgment is, going, is happening, but who is being judged? Right? From the perspective of the one who is judging, there is you to judge. But from that perspective, from your perspective, seeing that there is nothing to, to judge, well, who is being judged? And that's seeing through the, the magic, in a way, right? Seeing how it operates. And it opens your eyes. You can, you can pass it around. So I'm going to keep it. He treats them with uh, a compassion that never despairs, seeing that all is empty and without ego. Treats them with the compassion of observance of the precepts, training those who break them to do better, treats them with compassion of forbearance, guarding both others and self, treats them with the compassion of perseverance, shouldering all beings as its burden, treats them with the compassion of meditation, unaffected by taste, treats them with the compassion of wisdom, which always knows the right time, treats them with the compassion of expedient means, which with manifestation suited to every occasion. So to assume the shape according to the need, as you said before. Right? But that's how we can assume the shape according to the need, by not creating a shape. Right. If we create a shape, we can't. Right. Sometimes it fits, sometimes it doesn't. Right? Because there is a, an, an embedded judgment there. Right? So, freedom. But he was also talking about, uh, you know, if somebody breaks precepts, you know, about, so you encourage them to do better rather than faulting them to, for, for doing what they did or for not doing something. Because that's going along with a fixed sense of self, a fixed sense of other. Right? If I want to fault you, if I want to point a finger and just focus on faulting you, then what am I doing? I'm fortifying an idea of separateness. We move on? Okay. So, further down that page, or second, or the next page, Madhushri then asked, if the Bodhisattva fears the cycle of birth and death, what should she rely on? Vimalakita replied, the Bodhisattva fearing the cycle of birth and death should rely on the power of the Tathagatas, the Daskam one. Tathagatas blessings. Manjushri. Manjushri, if he hopes to rely on the power of the Tathagatas blessing, what course should he pursue? Vimalakirti said, if he hopes to rely on the power of the Tathagatas, Tathagatas blessing, he should devote himself to saving and liberating all living beings. And Manjushri said, if he hopes to save living beings, 
What must he be he free them from? It's a good question, right? If there's nothing to abide in. Vimakadi says, if he hopes to save living beings, he must free them from earthly desires. Majushri says, if he hopes to free them from earthly desires, what should how should he proceed? And Vimakadi said, he should proceed by the method of correct mindfulness. How does one proceed in the method of correct mindfulness? One proceeds on the premise of no birth and no extinction. What has no birth and what has no extinction? The not good has no birth, the good has no extinction. It's a very uh, important line, right? The not good, the bad, (coughs) what we say bad, has no birth. Well, it is born the moment we assign it, that label to something, it is born. That's how it is made up, right? What he's saying is that this has no birth and good has no extinction. So Majushri asked, what is the root of good and not good? And Vimalakirti answers, the body is the root. What is the root of the body? Craving is the root of the body. What is the root of craving? False discrimination is the root of craving. What is the root of false discrimination? Erroneous thinking is the root of discrimination. What is the root of erroneous thinking? Non-abiding is the root. What is the root of non-abiding? And Vimalakirti said, non-abiding has no basis. All things arise from this non-abiding root. For a few minutes, a couple of minutes. What is this about, this dialogue? What does it leave you with? Let's ask this way. Not knowing? Not having a way to know. Right? Mm-hmm. What does he do to the search for the answer? Brings it back to the question. Mm-hmm. It eliminates the question, actually. Mm-hmm. Right? It takes care of the question. But in a different way. Right? Not abiding is the basis. Nothing upon which to rely. No fix anything. Scary. But that's liberation. The way we try to liberate ourselves creates more traps, in a way. Right? That's what we do. We try to think ourselves out of thinking, in a way, right? Mm-hmm. And by doing that, we create more thinking, more thoughts, and then we try to free ourselves from those thoughts. If it's not this, it must be that. If it's not that, it must be this. It must be this, it must be this. Yeah, actually, that's, that's very profound. <laughs> it is. <laughs> that's what he's saying. We free ourselves from thinking by thinking. <laughs> that's why Einstein said you cannot solve a problem with the same mind that created it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. I need somebody else's mind to fix the problem. <laughs> or you need to expand from the limited views of the mind 
of that, right? Because the mind itself, that by thinking mind, functions that way. It's not wrong, it just functions that way. It functions based on divisions. That's how we do things. That's how the five fingers work. Oh, yes. So, we move on. Let's see. Uh, any, any other things you want to add to that? Are we, we good? Okay. So, page 86. We're moving on to the goddess. Yes. So, at that time, there was a heavenly being, a goddess, in Vimalakirti's room, who, seeing these great men and hearing them expound the Dharma, proceeded to make herself visible. So she was always there. She was there all the time, the whole time, and she was just taking notes, right? And then all of a sudden she decided, it's time for me to appear. So she show, shows up, right? So she makes herself visible, taking heavenly flowers, scattered them over the bodhisattvas and major disciples. When the flowers touched the bodhisattvas, they all fell to the floor at once. But when they touched the arhats, the, the major disciples, they stuck to them and did not fall off. The disciples all tried to shake off the flowers through all their supernatural powers, but they couldn't do that. And at that time, the goddess said to Shariputra, why try to brush off the flowers? Such flowers are not in accordance with the Dharma, he replied. That's why I tried to brush them off. And the goddess said, don't say these flowers are not in accordance with the Dharma. Why? Because the flowers make no such distinctions. The flower makes no such distinctions. You do, but the flowers do not. You, in your thinking, have made up these distinctions. That's all. What's happening there? You sure you want to go? I don't want to go. So what, what's happening in this part of the, the play? Because he thinks that the flowers are not good. And he makes that distinction, so they stick to him because they're sticking to his mind, to his thoughts. He's holding on to holding what's on. appropriate for me based on my whatever status. achievement, status, uh, you know, or, or I'm an right, what I have uh, achieved, accomplished, uh, right, who I am. And this is not suitable for me. It's funny how it sticks to you when you don't want it to. Right. <laughs> yeah, but what sticks to what, though, right? right? The flowers don't have the power to stick to anything. No, our mind sticks to that. What's the glue? It's, it's our thinking mind. Distinction. Right, creating, creating the one that is not, is not that for whom the flowers are not appropriate. Or for whom the flowers are appropriate, actually. That could be another way to make them stick. Of course, you know, I'm the one who should have the flowers and you shouldn't. Also, I, I always have the fix that when you... Like, if you reach enlightenment, that's it, you know, you made it. And that shows that, no, <laughs> you're still being tested and things to learn, regardless of how clear your mind may be or how you can see the magic from, you know, the way it's made and all that still it never ends because that's life, you know? Like, I don't know, I just always had that idea and like, 
And then, and then we hear that there is here. Yeah. Right? And that could be a disappointment. Yeah. Right? Because, what do you mean? This. I've been searching for the place and I was on it all the time. No, not just on it. I it don't like it. it. <laughs> <laughs> I right? I mean, maybe, I'm, but I don't like this, right? So, yeah. come on, you know, give me something better than that. Right, but 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 remember that this, in a way, I mean, we have to read it in, in the right way. But it's what they're doing. What this is doing is propaganda, right? A little bit, <laughs> the Mahayana versus you know the what was called back then Hinayana, the small vehicle, the large vehicle. But what's important is that is to not make distinctions from that and to see that we also have that uh, idea of I want to be awakened, right? I want to feel better. And this is taking it one step further. Yeah, but for the sake of all creation. For the sake of all creation. And not only that, awakening, true awakening can only happen while or when recognizing all creation is one. So there are no divisions. There is no other live awakening. It's not that there are no experiences. There are experiences of awakening. But the, the actualization of awakening has to include everybody. And that's the point. Right? So, we're good? Isn't this coming with the, when you live like a lotus in muddy water? It has to be. Yeah. Otherwise, there's no lotus actually. There's no muddy water. Right? Yeah. That's and it actually bring that up as an example, right? The lotus, right? Right. Yeah. The, the 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 flower does not reject the mud because the flower knows very well that the mud is its nutrients or gives it its nutrients, right? So yeah. So so what we see as the beauty is uh, not separate from what we see as dirty or muddied or obscured, right? So. And then uh, she said, one must be without distinctions to be in accordance with the Dharma. Right? To be in accordance with the Dharma is to dwell nowhere. Dwelling nowhere, raise the body-mind. There are many ways to say the same thing. And I... What's important for us is that we, we see, that we hear over and over and over again the same thing in different ways. And we start to see that, wait a minute, I've heard that before. Mm-hmm. Not in these words, but in other words. But yeah, there it is again. Right? It's kind of like to mix it up so we don't get bored. <laughs> Hearing the same thing over and over again. So, well, let's do it. Let's say it in a different way. And he says, because... Uh, you disciples are fearful of the cycle of birth and death. The sense of form, sound, smell, taste, and touch are able to take advantage of you. That's very powerful. Mm-mm. Because we are afraid of, or because I'm afraid of the flower, the flower is stuck to me. Or because I'm creating me, then I'm creating 
something that something can get stuck to, adhere to. I was thinking about bullying in terms of that. How how so school. bullying? Um, well, when a bully seeks someone out to bully, then they look for somebody who's afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason, whether they feel short or they feel inadequate or whatever, or they feel like they're not as smart as everybody else, and bully bully looks for that. And then everything will stick to this person who's afraid. Everything the bully says. But if, when the bully realizes that nothing sticks to you because you're not afraid of him or her, then he moves on or she moves on to somebody else who's afraid. Right, it takes two. It's the fear, yeah. It, it takes, right. It takes one person to be a victim. In order for this energy to flow in that direction, you need to have another part of that. Yeah. You, you know, there's got to be duality on both sides too, right? Mm-hmm. And then, yes, because this energy is attracted to that kind of energy. And if you have that kind of energy, then yes, it moves through. Yeah. Yeah. So then Shariputra said, Goddess, you have been staying for this room. Have you been staying uh, in this room long? She replied, Venerable Sir, my stay in this room is about as long as your attainment of emancipation. It's a good answer. Should be great at uh, Dharma combat. Yeah. <laughs> Shariputra said, So you've been here long? It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of lost for words, right? Like, <laughs> okay. Venerable sir, said the goddess, how long has your attainment of emancipation been? And Shariputra was silent and did not answer. The goddess said, With your great wisdom, venerable sir, why do you remain silent? Right? And he's supposed to be the, the wise one, actually. Shariputra replied, Emancipation cannot be spoken of in words. Therefore, I do not know what I can say to you. The goddess said, Words, writing, all... all all are marks of emancipation. Why? Because emancipation is not internal, not external, and not in between. And words likewise are not internal, not external, and not in between. Therefore, Shariputra, you can speak of emancipation without putting words aside. Why? Because all things that exist are marks of emancipation. And Shariputra said, doesn't emancipation mean putting aside lewdness, anger, and stupidity? So, what's going on there? He's saying that he's not able to use words, right? Because they're not... He creates a duality in the brain if he speaks. And he says if you talk from a non-duality point, it's okay. Yeah, he thinks that it's not in words, it is in this, right? It is in no words, or he's unable to express it with words. And what is she saying? That words are emancipation, along with everything else. She's telling him that he's creating limitations. Right? You are defining it this way, and therefore you are limited by your own definition. He set it apart by the way that he... He set it apart, right. Beyond words doesn't mean... No words. Sometimes it does, but but it doesn't mean it means having the freedom to pick anything. A blade of grass. 
as 16 foot Buddha, body of a Buddha. So if you pick and choose without picking and choosing, okay. then you're free to use words or not to use words. You're free to use a hug or uh, yell at someone if needed. No wonder they get trampled once in a while for one question. No wonder what? They get trampled by the other side for one question. Yeah. So therefore, Shaputra, you can use emancipation without putting a, can you, you without putting aside word. Why? Because all things that exist are the marks of emancipation. And then he thinks that there is a division there, right? So he creates a division because of that. Actually, because of that, there is a division. We should uh, see it that way a bit. Because if we do that, then we, are, we live by that, right? We are convinced that there is a division there. And because we are convinced, then that's what we see. That's what we hear. So, and then Shariputra, after that, she, she speaks about it. He says, excellent, excellent goddess, you have seized on what you have seen into that you, what you have seen, what you have, what you have seen into that you speak with such eloquence. The goddess replied, I have seized on nothing, seen into nothing, and hence speak with eloquence. Why? If one claims to have seized on something or seen into something, then in the light of the Buddha's law, the Buddha's Dharma, one is being overbearingly arrogant. Does that work? I think so, because then you say, oh, I know what that is. And you define it, and then you create more duality, right? Yeah, and then you become, right, you become arrogant about... Knowing. So you, ta you take, in a way, you take, as we say, we take medicine and use it as poison. Right? To become arrogant about realization, or the teachings that all things are one. H how is this possible? Right? So that's creating division from teachings that say no divisions. So then, then Shariputra asks, and this is an important point, why don't you change out of this female body? Now, there was misogyny, and uh, we, we talked about that. At the, the time, uh, there was a very strong belief or understanding that you know, the only way to be awakened is to, you know, die and reborn, die and reborn until you are reborn as a male, and then you're lucky enough to, uh, to be awakened. And uh, and Buddhism grew up actually in that time, so that was that's where things that's how things were. That's why he asked that question because he's stuck in that division, right? So you can only be a male, you can only be awakened if you are a male. So if you're so powerful, why don't you change out of this female body? And then she said, for the past 12 years, I have been trying to take on a female form, but in the end, with no success. What is there to change? If a sorcerer were to conjure up a phantom woman and then someone asked her why she didn't change out of the female body, would that be any kind of reasonable question? No, Shariputra said, right? Phantoms have no fixed form. 
So what would there be to change? And the goddess said, all things are just the same, right? They have no fixed form. So why ask why I don't change out of my female body? If it is conjured up, then what is there to change? And this is going into, in a way, I mean, there is a koan in the miscellaneous koans that addresses that. You may remember, some of you may remember that. Right? Going on to, to one of the more difficult aspects of our being that we hold on to, right? My gender. How do I see myself? What does it mean to be a male? What does it mean to be a female? How, how much am I vested, or my life is vested in this but form? Isn't this an assumption basically? You said, okay, you know, it's a sort of dual thing, which is, oh, you are a woman, you should, you would like to be a man. <coughs> isn't that and there's an expectation that, you know, you're not perfect to some extent? And she's answering, you know, but that's how he sees it. You see, because of the time, because of the culture, he sees it in that way and he's very fixed or fixated on it, right? Well, you know, then you're so great, then it makes sense that you will just transform into a male and become awakened or enlightened or whatever he had in his mind, right? And she's saying, well, what am I going to change? <coughs> there's there's nothing. There's nothing there. Whatever I am, I'm still I am. It's just, what would I change into? There is no... Yes, as often into. You see me in the way you see me, but that's not what's going on. It's just that look at the way you are seeing rather than it, at what you see, she's saying, right? Well, he's so, looking at the magic trick and he's not seeing how the magic trick's done. Yes, and she's in on the magic. <laughs> right. Also for us, in terms of the gender and what you said, it's... um. I mean, I'm a, um, I have a female body externally, but I feel like the male and female energy are within a person, like like the right, scientifically right and left side of the brain, mm -hmm. uh, yin and yang in Tao, and every practice shows that, like black and white, dark and light, and I think that's more of who we are, like we are female and male. You're not going to transform yourself from what you are. Well, it's always within, like, for example, yeah. I guess, it, relationships yeah. are the best teachers. But when it's with the significant other, I don't see my fiancé as, as, okay, you're the man, I'm the woman. I see him, like, in this life, I have, I'm more in tune with the female qualities because of, in this sense, like, you know, I was born this way, but then he reminds me of that side of the male qualities, and that it may, it helps me to see because we mirrors of each other. So instead of seeing it like he's separate from me, because because of the form I took in this life, I'm just gonna kind of it's hard for me to see the male in, in me in this case, right? So then when I see the person I'm with, he reminds me of that those qualities that they have. Know that I need him, but it's just like a reminder of because of the form I take. This is the way I see it because of the yin and yang or all that. And I always like, oh, yin and yang, how cute! But it's just like more of it, it, it happened that before more I used to fight, yeah, like I think I, I'm just gonna, I'm talking from my experience, but I'm getting much better into stop fighting because you're a male, I'm a female, we're different, we separate, we like 
it's just kind of I don't know. I feel. Well, no, it's 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 right to connect to different energies, but to connect to all energies within us, but at the same time to not identify with one or the other. Right. Even I mean, yes, you're not gonna deny the the physical form the way it is. You can't deny that because that won't make sense. But what does it mean? How does it function? And how much are you identified with the way it functions or with the way it appears? Right? And, and, and also, what do you create based on that appearance? Right? What are the, 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 the mental creations or formations that appear or that you create in relation to the form of being a female? What have I assigned to it? Or well, other people have assigned to it, right? Yeah. In a way, it threw on me, and now I have to deal with it, you know? So, cause, because I'm a female, I have to, to do this and not do that, right? So, here are the you know, do's and don'ts, right? The, the job description of being a female, in a way, and the job description of being a male, and that—that's what we have to transcend, right? That—that's the teachings. You know, nothing, nothing is fixed. And that's why that miscellaneous column is—it was hard for me. <laughs> it, was, it, it was hard for me because you fixed yeah, your yeah. idea totally, of what yeah. it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, and that's where you get stuck. It's if you don't fix it and you don't in your mind have that list like you were saying, then things start to become much more fluid. Yeah, I mean that's one of the ways we can little by little free ourselves. We realize that wait a minute, you know, it doesn't mean much. I mean I'm not gonna you know give it up <laughs> or I'll go a sex change operation. I don't have to do that, right? You know, it's perfectly fine to reside in that form and at the same time not be doesn't mean to be stuck. Or to have to be stuck with that form. Do you see? In the same way that words, you don't have to you know, negate words. There's nothing wrong with words. There's nothing wrong with being a female or being a male or whatever form we take. Or being a cat or being a dog or being a fly or being anything. Go ahead. No, it's oh. It sounds like you wanted to... So, get so this, okay. this, this, again, with Buddha nature, everybody has Buddha nature. A cat is a Buddha nature, a woman, a man. And, but you can't say, well, I expect the cat to, to purr, but how come it doesn't purr? Well, the cat does whatever the cat does. So don't have any the, nature, the nature that we speak of, that you, that you refer to, that nature is, is no fixed form. Because everything is of the same nature of being, in a way, conjured up, right? That's how it appears. But it appears out of nothingness, and it returns to nothingness, and it is nothingness while it is that, right? So there's no, ne- no way to negate the way it is appearing right now, because it is appearing out of nowhere. So why are we so, you know, yeah, why, why do we get so messed up over, you know, creating divisions and then pointing a finger and then, you know, labeling it and holding on to it and, right? So then, then uh, at that time, uh, to prove, to make the point, right? At that time, the goddess employed all her natu- supernatural powers and changed Shariputra into a goddess like herself while she took on the form of Shariputra. <laughs> 
Yeah. You, you can just just think about it. Imagine what he was feeling. <laughs> right? It's like he's looking at himself. It's like, what is this? I can never be enlightened. I'm a female. <laughs> right? I mean, right. It's actually like regression, right? It's like, I was already got there, right? I was a male. <laughs> and then she has the nerve to ask him, "Why don't you change out of this?" Right, because right, she want right. She basically put him in her shoes. Like, okay, no problem. You know, go ahead, change that, <laughs> right? And then so she took a phone. Hey, why don't you now in the form of God? She said, "I don't know." He said, "I don't know." what have suddenly changed, right, and taken on a female body, right? He does not know what he is. Because his idea of himself got taken away. What he thought of as him, more than anything, right, being a, a, an awakened person, male, all of a sudden that was taken away. He still has the idea. That's why he has the problem. It's been compromised. No, no. The, the form of an awakened male was taken away because... Right, but he still has the idea. Yes, that, the idea, that's yes. supposed to be. Yes, right. And, and so what happened is that life itself did not match the idea of his, in his mind, right? So there was a discrepancy between his thoughts and his form. So, um, I don't know what, I, what suddenly changed. And the goddess said, Chariputra... If you can change out of this female body, then all women can change likewise. Shariputra, who is, who is not a woman, who is not a woman, appears in a woman's body. And the same is true for all women. Though they appear in women's bodies, they are not women. And that, that, that threw me off, because too, because I'm like, I'm not a woman, but then I realized how attached I was to being a woman. <laughs> What does it mean? I'm not a woman. I'm not a man. Not to define yourself. Even that. Even that. Right? Who looks at this? Right? I mean, you know, unless you're a practitioner and you're examining things in this way, who looks at their gender and questions that? You know, I had, a, I had a really interesting experience with this, actually. We were in Florida at the um, Aikido uh, winter camp. And, um, you know, I've been dealing with um, just issues of, of, of feeling weak and not feeling strong enough and practicing with all these guys, you know. And there were women there, too, but there were more guys than, than uh, women there practicing, so... I was, I was, I always felt kind of, kind of intimidated and, you know, not like, um, that they knew better what they were doing because they were stronger. You know, I was always raised to think that men were stronger than women and women are supposed to be weaker, you know? So I had all these ideas going through my head and then all of a sudden I had this thing where I was just like, well, what if I were a man right now? How about my idea of a man? No, I'm serious. And then I started practicing that way. My own thoughts with my own thoughts I started practicing that way and you know nothing bothered me nothing bothered me I, I was thrown on the ground I got hurt a couple times you know just just you know just simple pains that I could deal with you know I didn't break myself but um, it was it was interesting to experience that um, I was defining myself as a woman 
but also there is in that is how you define male. Yes. You see, if you if you if yeah. you feel the way because you have assigned that to Strength male, to you know, that. strong, yeah. right, and uh, you know, not minding pain, and then mm-hmm. women do mind pain. Yeah. So then I'm gonna go to the other side of that. Mm-hmm. But I'm how do you cut through yeah. both? That's what I'm thinking right now. Is that? And that's why she's saying, therefore, the Buddha teaches that all phenomena are neither male nor female. Mm -hmm. So he takes care of that for you. Thank you. Right, but that's that's the point, right? Neither male nor female. Mm. That that really puts things on an even playing field. Neither male nor female, yet the appearance is perfectly fine as a male or a female. Well, actually, because neither male nor female, then, then it's perfectly fine to act or to, to appear and to function in this way. So in a way, we are free to function as a male or a female based on the form. What the job requires. Also, but not, not being so attached to, the, to what we have defined or what others have defined associated with the gender. I mean, you know, the, the, of course, the common is simply, you know, men don't cry, women, you know, men are unemotional, whatever nonsense, you know, have assigned to, we've been assigned to, right, as male or female, to, well, there's no problem there. Because to assume the shape according to the need. Not according to the thought or the idea. You be gentle and you need to be gentle and you be strong when you need to be strong. Right. Exactly, which goes back to what you're saying, you know, the different energies in us. Why limit ourselves to that form or this form? Right? Why limit ourselves? So then the goddess withdrew her supernatural powers and she returned him to his original form. The goddess said to Shariputra, Where now is the form and shape of your female body? What happened to that? Right? And he said, the form and shape of my female body does not exist, yet not not exist. It's, he's starting to get it. <laughs> right? Uh, do you remember from the Lankavatara Sutra, things are not as they appear, nor are they otherwise. Right? Mm-hmm. Things are not the way they appear, nor are they otherwise. The goddess said, all things are just like that. Right? They do not exist, yet do not not exist. And that they do not exist, yet not not exist, is exactly what the Buddha teaches. Do you want to say something about that? Double negative. What does it mean? You know, not exist. Okay, so. It's there, but it's not there. Right. Neither affirmation nor negation. Right. Or form is no other than emptiness. Emptiness no other than form. That's what he's saying. Right? Because in formlessness it does not exist. In form it does. So no duality. So, uh, then Shariputra said to the goddess, when your presence existence comes to an end, where would you re- be, be reborn? The goddess replied, the way the Buddha is born 
in his transformation body, that's how I will be born, right? So the way a Buddha is born in transformation body, it will be the same way I will be reborn. And Shariputra said, when the Buddha is born in his transformation body, it is not a matter of birth and death. And the goddess said, it's that way with living beings too. They are without birth and death. So she, what she's doing here is, is she's really, she's bringing it down to earth. All things are one. All things are of the same nature. Not just what you think as a Buddha and as a, as a human being. Right? Your division in the mind of what is a Buddha and what is not. What is capable of Buddhahood and what is not capable of Buddhahood. Which is where he's coming from. And then Sharputta said to the goddess, how long it will it be before you attain Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi? Supreme, uh, unexcelled enlightenment. The goddess replied, Shariputra, when you revert to the state of a common unenlightened mortal, then I will succeed in gaining Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi. And Shariputra said, it is unthinkable that I should become a common mortal again. Right? So many eons I've worked on becoming this. <laughs> you want me to give it up? Right? I mean, I've been working on this lifetime after lifetime after lifetime to arrive at that. You want me to give it up? It's unthinkable. Right? The goddess said, It is likewise unthinkable that I should attain Anutta Samyak Sambodhi. Why? Because body is nothing to be thought about, hence nothing to be attained. So when you said the, the student, when the disciple went to the teacher, like, oh, my mind is chaos, and they say, drop it. And then he came back like, oh, I found peace. And then he goes, drop it. Yeah, that will change too, right? Right, right. <laughs> right, right. Don't hold on to either being or deluded or being awakened. Yeah. Shariputta said, the Buddhas who are now attaining Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi and those who have attained it in the past and will attain it in the future, numerous as the sands of the Ganges, what would you say to all of those? And she said, we use the numerous of everyday language, the number, sorry, of everyday language, and so we speak of all those as belonging to the three existences of past, present, and future. But this is not to say that body knows anything of past, present, and future. Then the goddess said, Shariputra, you have attained the way of the Arhat. Shariputra said, I've realized that there is nothing to be attained. So I've attained it. Again, something is moving, something is changing. Goddess said, the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas are that way too. They've realized that there is nothing to attain, and so they have attained it. What does that mean? What, what, what's going on in that? That's a very important part of the dialogue. Because it was already there. We were already... What does it mean about us practicing? It means it's, it's very hard work to get to that point, to get to the point where there are no distinctions, but that's, you can't dwell there because you can't function. 
So you need to move back to a place where you're not moving at all. You're just basically seeing the world from a different perspective. Mountains are mountains, rivers are rivers. Say again? Mountains are mountains, rivers are rivers. Yes. Right. The third, mountains are mountains. Right. The first one, yeah. mountains are mountains, and then they're not, and then they are. The important point here is, okay, so we talk about attaining Buddhahood, attaining realization, right? So we have to, we cannot drop the search. We have to search to, to lose something in order to discover something. To lose this, to discover this. Well, isn't, isn't that the process of, <clears throat> of realization? It, it, it's... You have to do something to get to get somewhere. You have, you have to take this step to move, right, to a different location. And so it's that process. So it's, it's the process of realizing. Um, but if you don't take the first step, there is no realization. Yes. So the first step is what? Uh, I guess. I guess the first step is just to realize that there's there's more. There's another way to look at this. There's something else. The first step would be to, to doubt. To doubt. To doubt what you think you are. Mm-hmm. To doubt being a male. I don't know what that is. Well, to me, to me what comes to mind is that there's got to be a better way. <laughs> there's got to be something else besides this. You know, and then, and then you start to experiment and experience different things, and you realize, well, no, this is it. There is nothing other than this. But you see, to, to see this the way it is, we have to lose it the way we see it. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have to first lose the way we think it is in order to see it the way it is. Mm-hmm. Because as long as we see it the way we think it is, <coughs> we're not going to see it in right. a different way. Right. Yep. Because we are convinced. Yeah. We're convinced that we are seeing it correctly. So you have to question your reality. Yes, you have to question your reality. Like you have to do that circle around to come wherever you started. It. Remember the Truman Show? The movie? Did yes. you see? Yes. He started the question, the yes. reality. Did you see that movie? No. That's oh, a great movie. Watch we should watch, watch, watch it together, actually. Yeah. <laughs> We should have a movie really day. Yeah, we should do that. Why not? You know? yeah. Another one should be Groundhog Day. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyway, so yeah, it, it, yeah, it started yeah. to question, if, that's what the, the, the point of, starting to question, starting to see cracks. Yes. I was just going to say, yesterday we um, read a funeral, yeah. at the end of it they played the Leonard Cohen song, which that's the crack that lets the light in. Um, yeah, exactly. And somebody has to break or crack or something. To... And Leonard was a practitioner, you, you know, right? He was, yeah. He was actually Daibosatsu at, at some spent point. Years right? Yeah, he was a few years away. He was uh, living, I think, as a monk in a monastery. In LA. Yes. But yes, right, to, to start to. And you know, here's the thing with this, and that's why it's we have to take a hammer, a sledgehammer, and start to, in a way, break the house we live in. If that's, I mean, that, that's the metaphor. 
Is this really right? We have to take a hammer to what we think is protecting us. That's, that's, the, that's the scary part. And there's no other way. To take a hammer to the wall that we have built to protect ourselves. Yeah. Right? You know, it's interesting what Eckhart Tolle had to say about the beingness of things. And he used, um, <coughs> what was his name? Which famous artist? Do you remember? He talked about a guy who drew, drew a picture of a chair and a painter. Was that that? Monet? Monet? No, it wasn't Monet. No? No. I remember. Anyway, it was, it was a famous artist. And Eckhart um, Tolle made an example of this by saying, um, you know, a chair wouldn't be, that chair wouldn't be worth much, maybe $50, you know. But he saw through the the to the reality of the chair and what it was and the beingness of it and just what the thereness of it and he painted it and and it you know that that painting is like worth thousands of dollars you know but it's it's cutting through and seeing things as they are instead yeah, of what I, I think he said he was he was sitting and looking and looking and looking beyond what he saw yes, looked, initially and then he was able to draw that, mm. so right? To, to, to look at something, to look at something in such a way that changes the way you look at it. Well, Basho, the haiku poet, his philosophy was, you know, learn about a bamboo tree from a bamboo tree. Yeah. You know, learn about a frog from a frog. Yeah. And so cool. as long as the poet's mind and the object are separate, it, they will always be separate. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's the way he wrote his poetry. That's cool. Yeah. So yeah, that's what he takes. He takes... Which was that? Basha. Basha, yeah, I think we have a Yeah, Basha, we have. So he takes that, he takes having the guts, right? The courage to see things beyond the way we see them. Or to doubt the way we see things. Yeah. You have to get off. Oh, there it is. Right, you have to move in order to sense it too. Sometimes you don't move, you don't sense anything. So then you start to sense things in a different way. Right, so then the boundaries of you begin to be less distinguished, right? You know, so you start to lose the boundary of you and uh, the reality around you or the environment or you and others. Well, they say that astronauts, when they were in outer space looking back at the Earth, went through a profound shift in consciousness, being able to see the Earth, yeah, so, you know, yeah, out in space from that perspective. Yeah. So imagine how far we have to step back <laughs> to all those well, of well, us who are not astronauts. Well, we're in space. Space. Yeah. I mean, you know, there is, it's kind of like that, actually, you know, to see in a way that includes all galaxies, yeah. right? To realize unity yeah. at once, right? One, right? Being at one with. Yeah. As all galaxies. Yeah. That big. 
That's but that's the, the once once you start to once we start to break down divisions, right? Go beyond divisions, and then it grows, it grows, it grows, it grows because what stops it? Yeah. The mind, yeah. right? The thinking mind stops it. So anyway, we're gonna move on to see how far we get with that. Uh, chapter eight, the Buddha way. At that time, Manjushri asked Bhimalakirti. <clears throat> How does the Bodhisattva go about mastering the Buddha way? Vimalakirti said, The Bodhisattva should follow a path that is not the way. Then she can master the Buddha way. Follow what is not the way, and then you are following the way. Go ahead. <laughs> Say something. It, it take your conception of what practice is and kind of put it over here and... And just and just do, just be. Go against the grain. Yeah. Even if you were not aware you're on the path, you're on the path. When you, if you think you're on the path, you're on the path. Because you think you're on the path. Mm -hmm. If you think you're practicing, you think you're practicing. Right. So what is what is our concept of practice? What is our concept of not practice? Maybe we should look at it this way. Yeah. Um, so Aikido kind of strikes me this way. It's something, uh, it's a martial art. It's people fighting. But it's actually, um, what they were able to do with it is make it more, it's about actually love and expressing that towards somebody who's being aggressive towards you and giving it back to them. So how do you take something that's viewed as this is not practice. We're not aggressive. We don't fight people, and you make it the practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you right? How do you transcend that? Use it as a practice, and right, right. How do you do it in a way that does not trap you in? Actually, either way, right? How do you do it in a way that doesn't trap you in? It's not, or it is. Right. Way to... to lose yourself to it is, and to lose yourself to it's not. And then what's left? When, when, when we are at a place of there's nothing that's not practice, what is practice? Everything. <laughs> Just this. Right. Yeah. So we have to lose something. Right? So you have to follow a path that is not the way then you master to go against what you think it is, right? If a bodhisattva goes to the region of the five sins that lead to the hell of incessant suffering, he shows no anguish or anger. He arrives in hell, but is free of offense and def or defilement. To be in the world, to be, but not of the world, kind of, right? There's another way that it can be said. He arrives in the realm of beasts, but without the faults of stupidity or arrogance. He arrives at the realm of the hungry spirits, yet fully endowed with merits. She goes to the world of form and the world of formlessness, but makes no boasts of it. She, knows, she shows greed and desire in, in her actions, yet is removed from the stains of attachment. What is he saying here? To show greed and desire in actions, but then to be removed of the stains of attachment. 
or to show anger in the actions, yet have no anger or aversion toward living beings. What does that mean in relation to emotions? I think it means being able to express them, but not, but not attaching any more to it than that. Not be defined by them. Right. So isn't that when you're hungry, you're hungry, when you want to sleep, you go to sleep? Yeah, when you're angry, you yell and, and scream, get it out, and then... And it's finished. You're done. And you walk. Well, yeah, but then you watch right, what, they, what they're talking about. You know, it's, it's, this is not creating any trails or any residual energies, right, necessarily. It's just, it's just that. So if there is that, there is that. It's an expression, but there's no... Uh, nothing is assigned to that. Nothing is identified with that. Nothing is created in relation to the emotion. Mm-hmm. So if there is sadness, there is that sadness. But nobody is sad. <laughs> I know it doesn't make sense, but right. But you can't say I mean, there is sadness. But the point of nobody is sad is also true. There is that, right? So, but who? You ask that question, who is sad? Well, that's where we get into trouble, I think, is when you uh, uh, experience a feeling, experience anger, experience sadness, whatever, and then there it goes, a story about the anger, you know, the yeah, victim. Well, as soon as you say, oh, I shouldn't have gotten angry, yeah, that's it. You're, 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 you know. Or the victim, you say a victim, right, that, yeah, right? Victim or perpetrator. Sorry. Both. Right. So there is the victim. I am either the victim or the perpetrator and I am Oh yeah, I made a mistake. Trapped. That's it. You're trapped. You know, now you label yourself as this person that made a mistake. That's stupid or uh, ignorant or an idiot and uh, you, you can't accomplish anything in life because you're always making mistakes. Now you got the So I can wait and you start carrying things around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So what? You made a mistake. You learn from it, you know, try not to do it again. And most likely you're going to do it again. Might, sometimes it takes a few times to get it right, you know? So uh, there is, in that, there is also no one made a mistake. No, I don't know what made but how do we understand that? Because that's a very dangerous thing to say. <laughs> yes. It's a very dangerous thing to say, and that's not understanding the practice no, correctly. if you did not make a mistake, yet you did something. But if you say, oh, I didn't make a mistake, nobody made a mistake, that means that you're giving yourself the liberty to continue making the same mistake over and over and over again. Yeah, but I think it comes down to realizing that there are no mistakes. Because as soon as you label something as a mistake, it brings all this, has all this other connotation with it. Yeah, but then, you know, how do you deal with Dogen saying life is one mistake after another? Huh? He said way. that. <laughs> the, the same way. There, you know, there are mistakes and there are, and, and there's not mistakes. There, there are not not mistakes. <laughs> but, but then again, see... I've used that as like, uh, in my classroom, there's no mistakes, only opportunities to learn. So when I'm teaching and I tell my students there's no mistakes, they go, what do you mean there's no mistakes? They're afraid to cut hair because if they feel like if they make a mistake, that's it, they're done. So if I tell them there's no mistakes here, there's only opportunities to learn. He goes, but what if I cut? So if you cut, you're going to discover a new haircut or you're going to discover that that that, that section that you cut, it doesn't work, but you can create something else with it. But you see, the thing is, nobody, nobody gets it wrong, nobody gets it right. Yeah. 
nobody makes a mistake and nobody does it well. The point is, is that, you know, there's nobody that there is that which, you know, yes, we look at it and we learn from it, but nobody's learning. But you yes. give them an opportunity. For me, I, this is what I, what I see. And I noticed that when I, when I start a cutting class, when I start a cutting class with that, you know, there's, no, there's no mistakes, only opportunities to learn. Or they, it, it, it almost like you took something away, a, a concern, a worry, and they, they, they were not afraid mm-hmm. of cutting. Because I can cut whatever and it's no mistake. You know, I'm not well, messing anything up. But it gave them freedom to at least get started. And then afterwards, you would ask the question. You know, how does your haircut compare to this haircut right here? And it goes, well, you know, mine kind of went this way. Now, okay, when, when you meet that technique to create that, now you know how to do it. So, so, so you don't make them feel But wait, but, but nobody makes mistakes. does not mean that there are no consequences. And mm-hmm. does not mean there's no karma. It doesn't mean that. It means that karma does not, that individuals create karma, karma does not create individuals, as Bodhidharma mm-hmm. said, yes. right? That's what that means. We do create it, yes, because obviously we do create mess or messes, and then we have to deal with the mess. But neither creating mess nor dealing with the mess is creating a person. That's the point. And that you can't talk about in school. (laughs) (laughs) If I can talk about that, really tell me that I can, you know. Yeah, that you lost it. I'll lose the whole class. I'll right, turn around right. and my classroom will be empty. <laughs> so that you have to experience yourself and keep it to yourself. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, nobody makes a mistake, nobody gets it right, nobody gets it wrong. I, I think what, what that means is that the nobody is the, the conception you have of yourself. Nobody gets angry, right? Because it's, it's the idea that I have of myself that's getting angry. It's what I've assigned as a fixed right. position or fixed position person or fixed me to the experience right. of either making a mistake or succeeding. Right. But that doesn't take away, well, I guess the karma, but the responsibility of me, like, using her example, like, oh, there's no mistake, oh, if, if you cut my hair, like, yeah, I'm gonna kill if you. I'm still attached to my, <laughs> to my fake self of someone that comes and cut the hair, and yeah. she's like, oh, oops, sorry, I mean, but there's no mistake, that like, uh, yes, it was in my hair, yeah. <laughs> you have to so, I guess what you just said, like it, keeping it to the the understanding, it's with me that okay, who's getting angry or who who's going through this, but that doesn't take away like what we say, like I'm angry, I yell, but if I yell at someone, but what there's a consequence with the other, like the interaction. Oh yeah, yeah and you're not free of that. that you're not free of de- yeah. having to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Great. But what if your fiance said, "I like your hairstyle better than this one." <laughs> but what if I don't like it? No, you would change it. <laughs> so to me, everything is uh, also related to the reality of the time. I, I kind of look at different way. But, but share with us how you look yeah. at it. Yeah, because the, uh, I think it, it comes down to the, uh, well, the fundamental is whether we are here or not here. And, uh, but we talk about the, you know, let's say, uh, you know, storm and how you go into the pain and you talk about it a bit before too. But that depends on also uh, when and where you are. Like Dogen said that there's no time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, uh, it's like a, a ash and uh, wood. 
say you go into a storm, but the, uh, after 30 minutes you go into the storm, maybe it's not storm anymore, or it looks different to you. So the uh, nothing permanent, and, and, and the question is if you kind of lose the, uh, that sort of notion of time, that kind of kind of concept to that, how, how you do it. And, and duality might be also related to the time. I think that's where Dogen is going to, and, and I kind of start seeing that correlation between the impermanence and uh, the concept of time. So nothing lasts forever, kind of? Right, so, so yeah. why you worry about it? Because so the, why are you after worried? one hour, you probably could. So I had experience, like, you know. That uh, Yeah, the, uh, so uh, I have a difficult person to deal with, and uh, Leah and me uh, last week, and uh, um, so the really, so we a big um, meeting with the different schools coming in, and me and that person is not getting along, but we have got a good in medical school. And we, we try to help each other to, to get our you know, assistance and, and our, our claim. And uh, so he, he was my enemy, but at that time, that moment, we are together and we're helping. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, so to, to, to me, that the, uh, you know, we, we have some concept and duality too, but that always changed by time. So if you understand it, right. then you don't have to worry about it. And to understand it, the only way you do is you stay right here. You, you're not in the past or present if you stay present. How about there is no past, present, and future, or there are yeah, all right. at the same time? That's right. So once you start seeing... So my hair here. got cut the wrong way, but there is still my... This reminds me of Seisho's, uh, Seisho? Seisho's soul is separated. Mm -hmm. Do you remember? Seijo. Seijo's soul is separated. I got confused. Yeah. Um, where she she has two people. She is two people, and she yeah, is. Yeah, it's from the Mumo. She's a different time. life. Yeah. What if I had done this? What if I had done that? And both are existing and then they merge later on in the koan. But it's, it's an interesting mm. concept of time that you bring up. It's, yeah. So we have 10 minutes and I want to uh, just, you know, just uh, finish with, with, with something very important. You know, just to re she seems to be among the poor and destitute, yet she has jeweled hands capable of bestowing inexhaustible benefits. She seems to be crippled and deformed, yet possesses auspicious features, adorning herself wonderfully with them. She seems to be humble and lowly, yet is born into the seeds and the lineage of the Buddha, fully endowed with blessings. She, she seems to be among the puny and emaciated, the ugly and vile, yet acquire the body of uh, Narayana, the Vishnu in Buddhism, or Supreme Deity. Um, and, and then uh, Manjushri, he says, Manjushri, by going to places that are the opposite of the way, in this fashion, the Bodhisattva is able to master the Buddha, Buddha's way. By going, and um, when you think about what, what happened before, right, with the division between male and female, and what, is, what I think is realization and what I think is not, where I think realization is found and where I think it's not found, that's what this is cutting through. And it's very important, right? He says, Vimala uh, Kirti then asked Manjushri, what may act as the seeds of the thus come one, right? The Tathagata or Nyola in Japanese. Manjushri said, the body is the seed. Ignorance and partiality are the seeds. Greed, anger, and stupidity are the seeds. It's very important to, to, to see that they're going right to what we want to run away from. The suffering, the difficulties, the challenges, there, those are the seeds of our practice. The nuts and bolts. 
of our meat and potato, if you eat meat. Um, the four topsy-turvy views are the seeds, the five uh, kleshas are the seeds, the six senses are the seeds, the seven uh, abode of consciousness, the eight erroneous, everything we think is we shouldn't be doing or we should get away from is what makes the practice or what gives life to the practice. And then he asked, what do you mean by that? Manjushri replied, a person who has perceived the uncreated nature of reality and entered into correct understanding cannot gain, again set his mind on attaining until samyak sambodhi. The lotus does not grow in the unplanned plain. The lotus grows in the mud and mire of damp and low-lying places. This is where the, the, the root of, or the seeds are of, of becoming, of being a Buddha, our, our everyday life, our everyday difficulties, our everyday suffering. Right? So it's very important to, to bring it right back to that. Uh, one second, we're time. Hold that thought. Um, it is only when living beings are in the midst of the mire of earthy desires that they turn the Buddha Dharma, the will of the Buddha Dharma, right? If you plant seeds in the sky, will they ever grow? Only when you plant them in well-manured how does manure smell like? Well manured soil, they can sprout and flourish. In the same way, the Buddha Dharma will never grow in a person who has perceived the uncreated nature of reality and entered into correct understanding. So it's not found in your samadhi. From there, you come out and you do the work. You go back to where the suffering is, right? But one who enters who entertains egoistic views as huge as Mount Sumeru can still set his mind on attaining Anuttarasamyak Sambodhi. From this you should understand that all the various earthy desires are the seeds of the Daskamwan. If you do not descend into the vast ocean, you can never acquire a priceless pearl. In the same way, if you do not enter the great sea of earthy desires, you can never acquire the treasures of comprehensive wisdom. So, a few more minutes, just to wrap it up, five minutes. You wanted to say something oh, no, about that? Basically, that you, you, you have to go back, you have to face reality. You cannot run out, you cannot put things under, problems under the rock, because they will come sprouting back at you. And you more than that, he's saying that this is, the, those are the seeds of Buddhahood. Right, it's more, it's more than I gotta take care of everyday activities, because they're not gonna, life, not gonna go anywhere. He's saying, no. This is what gives rise to Buddhahood. Under the rug is what gives rise to Buddhahood. Yeah. Right beyond, I got to take care of business. Well, isn't he talking just about the human condition? Yes. This, you know, this is it. In order to experience what it's like to be human, yes, human, and deal with all the things that a human has to deal with. Every, in a way, everything I think is getting in my way of Buddhahood is <laughs> what gives rise to Buddhahood. Yes. Right. Is what nurture. A Buddha, right? Nurtures a Buddha, yeah. and that that is flipping things for us completely, right? That is turning things completely. Yeah. So you have to go to what is not the way if you want to be on the way. That's what he's saying, right? Mm -hmm. Go there, and you are on the way. In but the what way. does he need to go there? Because it's there, it's here, isn't it? It is, but there's a lot of resistance to that, right? To go there means to. Com be completely at one with it. Right, so not avoiding it. No. To oh, embrace, not... if you want to embrace Buddhahood, embrace that. 
That's what I mean. And that puts to rest something. It relaxes something. Well, then this is it. I'm not gonna, you know, there's no, no more duality, there's no more division, right? Between where you are, wherever you find yourself, and, and what you think, or what you think you need to be. Whether it's pleasurable or Whatever. painful, there's no duality. Which reminds me of the good and bad distinction, basically. There's no good and bad, it's just basically, it's like consequences of whatever you do. And if you don't want the same consequences to happen over and over, yeah. like some movies, uh, you have to change your, your actions. You have to change. Right. You have to change. You have, you have to agree to change. Right? Like she changed him from a male to a female, you have to agree to change. So, so this is, this is uh, to end this chapter, this chapter 8, uh, at the end, there are two verses, actually. I think in some places those are chanted. Um, the first line says, the Vimalakirti actually answers with verses. It says, Wisdom is the Bodhisattva's mother. Expedient means Upaya is his father. Of those who guide and teach all beings, there are none not born of this. Right? Dharma, is, Dharma joy is his wife. Pity and compassion of mine are his daughters, the good mind and sincerity his sons. This is just the first two lines from, a, from those two verses. You, you, you may want to read them. That's the end of chapter 8. The last part of chapter 8. That's how Vimalakirti answers. So maybe we will have another one of those meetings. Yeah. If not, then maybe I'll bring it up in a Tejo. We'll have to figure out what works best. But uh, yeah, there's a lot there. This is very, very rich and very pertinent to what we practice. Just one more. So very tangible. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, you, you know, we may all go to the Our Dream uh, Japanese Temple tour in future. Oh. But, but the, uh, whenever you go to Japanese Temple, you tend to see that small section that they have a mud uh, water and a lotus uh, flower in blooming. Oh. So that's all about we talking about. So even, even in mud water, well, well, you need a map water so the Lord doesn't move. So yeah. that's, that's what we're talking about here. Yeah. So, so that's... The Japanese temple tried to remind us so they, they have some, some temple to a small section in the in Japanese uh, garden. To the mud we go. <laughs>